listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition, we're going to continue with our international break player ratings. If you haven't checked it out already on the last episode, I went solo and I did, uh, of course, rate individually all the defenders uh, in the Arsenal squad that have played at least three times in the Premier League this season. Some of you have told me that my ratings were really positive and really generous. Others have told me that I was harsh on certain players. Uh, but in the interest of fairness, I've decided to bring in an independent voice. And there's nobody better to help me with some heavy lifting on this one. Where we'll be covering both the midfielders and the attackers. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, Mike Stavrou. How are you, sir? I am happy that the international break is almost over. This has been a long one, man. This has been a really, really long one. It feels like it's been going on forever. They all have been long, though, this season, Mike, isn't it? Like, Why do you think this season they feel worse than they have in previous seasons? Because I certainly feel that way. I feel like they're just coming around quicker than ever. Like it's Because they're, they're every month, aren't they? But can you, you only get three weeks in between. I think it's because we're playing less matches. So it, it seems like less has happened in, in between the breaks because we're only playing once a week. It's yeah. like, all right, we've, we've only seen Arsenal like three times or four times and then we've got another international break. So it's always cutting off the momentum. But you have to say much better um, after uh, since the last the first international break. So let's hope it's an upwards curve after this one as well. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think you make a, a really great point there. Maybe because we're only seeing Arsenal play once a week, we're not suffering from that burnout. And then when the yeah. international break comes along, we're like, oh, you know, we haven't had our fix yet. Like what's going on? Whereas previously, yeah. when, especially when things weren't going well, you, you know, you're, there's a couple of games a week. And so you might have seen eight games in the space of a month and then bang, there's an international break and you are go, you, are well. Are saying that you missed Thursday night? Sorry. Uh, I'm not going to say that I'm missing Thursday nights, but I am struggling with the gap between matches at the moment. I have to be honest. I really am. Yeah, no, it's, I it's, completely agree. It's irritating because like, yeah. I don't know what to do with myself in between. And, <laughs> yeah. um, and, and that's the big problem, yeah, right? Let, let's get into it, Mike, because we've got plenty of players to cover off in this episode. So we're going to be going, uh, through the midfielders. And the forwards, remember the disclaimer or the criteria, if you like, for players being included in this is that they must have played at least three times in the Premier League this season, uh, because it's not really fair to rate people that have played less than that. It's not really fair to cast judgments on those players and, and to make any sort of analysis on how they fared so far this season. Uh, big hello to everybody in the live chat, because there's lots of you watching us live at the moment. Big hello to everybody who'll be joining us later on, whether that's via the video or via the audio. Uh, Matt says, show us the new studio equipment, Harry. I have bought new equipment. I've got new lights. I've got a new camera. I've got loads of stuff, but I haven't worked out how to use half of it yet. So when I do, I promise you, I will uh, give you guys a little tour um, of the new setup. But Mike, let's kick it off. Let's start in the midfield. Let's start with Thomas Partey, the Ghanaian, obviously a doubt going into the trip to Anfield at the weekend. That would be a huge blow for Arsenal, in my personal opinion. 
what have you made of Thomas Partey's performances um, up until now? I think he has been one of the better midfielders we've had. I feel like it's really frustrating because you say like another injury and it's like, this is what has started this guy's Arsenal career so far. And it's the most frustrating thing because when he's on the pitch, he looks, he looks great. Like he's had several like strong performances in big games. Um, I think the, the issue is just his fitness. And I think that does help hold him back because every time he comes back, he starts to get in a rhythm, plays four or five games. He seems to be out again. Um, but from what I've seen so far this season, I, I would say solid. I wouldn't say spectacular, but I feel like we're starting to see the £45 million signing that, that we brought in. Um, and I think he's formed a really nice relationship with Sambi Lokonga uh, so far. And uh, next to Xhaka as well, what I've liked um, when Xhaka was fit was that um, he sort of bombed on a bit, a bit more, took a bit more responsibility of carrying the ball forward, um, and sort of let Xhaka sit behind, and he was he was able to go. So, uh, if I was to give him a rating, I wouldn't say I've been blown away, um, but I would probably give him a good solid, solid uh, seven out of ten. Interesting. I'm going to take some of the ratings from the chat box and I'll share mine as well. Uh, we've got some really harsh ones. Uh, this one from Banos, five out of ten. For Thomas Partey, Tariq talks. Uh, make sure you check out Tariq's YouTube channel as well, which you can find, by the way, by clicking on his name in the comments. Six out of ten. Uh, what else have we got? Riddy has gone with seven. Uh, Jonathan says he's still our best midfielder, but has been performing below his own high standard. I'd give Partey a seven out of ten. I had him down as a seven as well. Uh, I think that when he's been fit, he's shown us a lot of the time what we missed for large periods last season. And a lot of the reason why we were unable to be consistent enough or, you know, strong enough over a period of time to really challenge for those European places. I think he adds a different dynamic to our midfield in comparison to some of the other options. And I think he's massively important. And I'm very worried about the possibility of him not being available this weekend, more so because Granite Xhaka is missing. So we both agree on the, the Partey 7 out of 10, right? And I think that that's probably the average of what we've got uh, in the chat box. Let's pick up just a, a few more quickly. Uh, Mint says 7 is fair. Creewone 7 out of 10. Gentile's gone 7 as well. Uh, GB says too much time on the physio table, 6 out of 10. We've got a couple of 6s coming in, but mostly 7s. So 7 feels about right. Um, in terms of that. So we'll agree on that one. And that was a nice little segue into the Xhaka discussion, because for me, missing Xhaka means we need Partey more because we need that seniority. We need that experience in the middle of the park. Granite Xhaka hasn't played an awful lot this season, right? He's picked up a serious injury. We know that he's, he's recovering quite well by all accounts. What is your assessment of what we have seen of Granite Xhaka so far mm. this season. I thought he played quite well against Spurs, but I thought everybody did that day. And I've got some concerns about Xhaka. I'm worried that he's going to struggle uh, to press over a long period of time, that he'll struggle with that, um, what's the word, intensity. Mm. And I'm worried that when he does return, we might naturally drop off of the press a little bit as a result of him being in the team. What have you made of his season so far? And do you share those concerns? I've, I think for me, so I'm, I'll go straight in my rating. Um, I'm going to give him a six purely because I don't think Xhaka is more than a six most of the time. I think he's a good player. I think he makes us tick. 
I think he has good attributes. Um, he's obviously committed on the pitch, but I don't think he's a sensational player. I never sort of watch him play and think, wow, like this guy is the future. I just think he does it. He does a good job. And I think in the past we've missed him because when he's been out, because we've not had any backup in the team. But now we brought in Lukonga. I feel like we are more well-equipped to cope without Xhaka. And maybe this is the time where we can start to see that we can cope without him because the guy has not been dropped for about three years. Played under Wenger, played under Emery basically every game and has played under Arteta basically every game when he's been fit. So I think we need to be starting to look to, to move on to the next the next sort of era of Arsenal. And I don't think that includes Xhaka. Maybe that's harsh. Look, I don't have anything against the guy. I just think, like like you say, I think he will struggle with that pressing intensity. And that's been the best thing about us in this little period uh, since after the, the Man City game. I think our energy, um, the, the way we've been able to press the ball from the front and the midfielders come in as well. I think that's been our best attribute. And he, that's not his, his best trait, let's say. So, from what I've seen from him so far, as I say, he's he, he's been good, but nothing spectacular. So we're in agreement on the six because I went with a six as well. Yeah. So uh, we've got two out of two, Mike. What's going on? We're agreeing today. I know. What's going on? Right? Well, I don't think we're going to agree <laughs> later on, mate. I've, I, I told you one of mine before the show, and you were pretty appalled. So <laughs> I was. I was disgusted. <laughs> um, but let's let's quickly have a look in the chat box. There's a lot of five out of tens here. Um, Tariq's gone with a four out of 10. He says, I don't, I, I do think it would be higher if he didn't get injured against Spurs. Yeah. Look, I mean, you have to take that into account, right? We've got a really small sample size from which we can judge Granite Xhaka. But for me, I, I couldn't give him lower than a six because I didn't think he was bad against, well, I thought he was good against Tottenham as was everybody the sending off at Man City, I still even now look back on that and feel like it was a little bit harsh when we've seen some of the challenges that have been allowed to to go scot-free. Um, so I didn't really read into that too much. Anybody can mistime a challenge, but it's, you know, it, it's not been amazing from him so far this season. Six feels fair, but I do have those concerns about him moving forward and I do have those worries about a, can he play the way that we are now playing? And B, if he does come into the side, which we expect he will, especially if Thomas Partey goes to the African Cup of Nations, is that going to lead to a natural drop-off in the way we press teams just because he doesn't do that? He isn't that type of player. And I actually thought at the start of the season, when our form started to turn around, um, it, it was a little bit weird seeing Granit Xhaka playing in these more advanced positions and, and trying to close spaces higher up the pitch. And I remember watching and thinking, as much as I think you're a good player, you're only a good player when you play in a certain way. And that certain way is sitting in front of the back four, cleaning up there, making sure you fill those holes that are vacated by the left back when they bomb forward and actually asking him to play further up the pitch and be more aggressive. I think he's almost asking for trouble and asking for the type of challenges that we saw at Manchester City. So I've got worries about where yeah. Xhaka fits into this moving forward. Let's talk about Albert Lekonga, um, player who came in in the summer, player that people had high hopes for, but perhaps people were willing to be a little bit patient about. I, I certainly was. I thought he was someone coming in to be a backup, to be an understudy with a view to taking on that role in the future. I've been quietly impressed with Albert Lekonga. I still think there have been moments of naivety in terms of sometimes 
his decision to maybe let the ball run across his body and try and let it kind of, you know, roll the man that way. I think in the Premier League, you're not going to get the time nor the space to do that. And I've seen him play some really risky passes and get caught in possession on a couple of occasions, but I'm still going to give him a seven out of 10 because of how young he is, because he's playing way more football than I think he or Mikel Arteta expected him to have played at this point. And I think overall, he's done a pretty good job of it. Where are you on Lakonga? Lakonga, I rate very highly. And it was really, really intriguing for me. I was listening to um, uh, Vince Company in an interview with Rio Ferdinand the other day. And uh, while he was in his later years at City before he retired, uh, he said he was watching like lots of European football and he actually uh, saw Lukonga playing at Anderlecht. And he said that the first thing he did was he went straight over to Mikel Arteta, who was obviously Pep's assistant uh, at Man City, and said, look, this guy is going to be the, is the new Yoya Toure. Like, look at him, basically. It, it didn't work out, obviously. And then once... Um, Arteta was at Arsenal obviously company became the Anderlecht boss and got to work with him and he said that he said the same thing to Arteta as well this guy is is still you know the new Yaya Toure sign him up basically obviously we got him um, and I think he's been he's been really really good as you say uh, defied expectations because we thought he was just going to play a sort of very limited role um, but he's not. He's come straight into the team. And for, for someone to do that at the age of 21, I know he's 22 now, but in games against, um, you know, Brentford to start the season and um, against Chelsea as well, like to, to come in and play those games, even though we didn't win, to be brave enough on the ball, to demand the ball, uh, to look so assured and calm is a big, big trait, I think, for him going forward to, to sort of show that maturity at his age is is good is really really good and it's you know we, we've got a really good player on our hands and for me it's come out of nowhere because I'd personally never heard of him before so that the fact that he showed those things yes of course there's going to be times when he gets caught out I think particularly when he's playing with party and um and Tierney bombs on down the left and he drops into a sort of deeper position to cover he's been exposed because defensively he still needs work for me but there's so much potential Harry um and I've been Really impressed with what I've seen so far. So I'm going to give him an eight, actually. An eight? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Very, eight, yeah. very kind of you, Mike. Very kind yeah. of you. Um, let's, let's have a look in the chat because I think the general consensus is probably uh, seven. There's a six and a half in there. There's a seven and a half in there. But I think the majority of people have gone around about the seven mark, which, you know, I think is fair. I think eight is also, you know, you could make a strong case for that as well. Um, I just, it's those... Things I mentioned, those naiveties and those moments where he has given the ball away or been caught in possession or just been a little bit, um, what's the word, a little bit slow to release the ball, maybe, maybe taking an extra touch in certain situations. But these are things that are going to get ironed out, right? This is a young lad who's come to the Premier League and we're asking an awful lot of him at this early stage in his career still. So I think I'm going to stick with my seven, but I think your eight is probably fair as well. Just a quick reminder before we continue, if you haven't done so already, make sure you hit the like button. It really, really does help. Uh, It gets the video out to more people. It gets the Chronicles of Aguna in front of more eyes. uh, And hopefully we can grow the Chronicles of Aguna family off the back of that. We've got 32, 33 likes on the board now. Let's try and get it up to 50 by the time I next remind you, because I will remind you again, because it is that bloody important. But moving on, Mike, Ainsley, Maitland, Niles. Your thoughts? 
Oh, this is a tough one. This is a really tough one because I think we've not seen loads of him. Um, from what I have seen when he's played in, in midfield, he's been okay. I think he had a he had he had a good game. He won man of the match in the last match, didn't he? Yeah. Um, and I thought he was he was really good. Um, but overall, I wouldn't say I've seen enough from him to be able to say that he will be like a midfielder for for Arsenal in the long term. I just I'm just not sure at the moment whether he's got the sort of discipline, uh, whether he moves the ball quick enough to be able to say, "All right, this guy's going to be going to be playing." You know, going to have a massive role in the team. I think he will play sporadically. I think he will play in the cups, um, but will it be enough for for what he wants as a sort of up and coming player? Still, I think he's about say up and coming, but he's about twenty three, twenty four now, isn't he? He's sort of getting getting a little bit older. Twenty four, yeah, twenty four, yeah. So you know, he he is a young player, but I think I put him in a similar sort of category to the likes of Joe Willock. Um, I think he's got lots of lots of potential still, and I think he's a, he's a good player, but. Will he show that, realise that potential at Arsenal? I'm not sure. But in, in terms of his performances, I, I think he's shown like glimpses of, of what he can do. Um, I think he's got, you know, good vision. Uh, he, he can find a pass. But I just think there's sort of certain like tactical things that I'm not sure that he he will be able to fulfil under Arteta. But a great squad player. Uh, so overall, I think I'll give him... It sounds harsh, but I'm going to give him a five because I haven't seen enough from him. Interesting. This is one of the ones I really struggled with when I was sitting down thinking about this earlier on. I had a real problem trying to come to some sort of conclusion around Ainsley Maitland-Niles. And I decided to look at exactly how much he's featured this season in the Premier League. And okay, he started against Watford and he played 90 minutes. But prior to that, he played 17 minutes against Villa, just a single minute against Brighton, three minutes against Spurs, 15 at Burnley. Um, he played 82 minutes against Norwich, but at Man City, he only managed 19 minutes. So you're right. The sample size thing is the big problem here. It's very, very hard to come to a real concrete judgment on whether Ainsley Maitland-Niles is good enough to play in Amis Field, I think, based on what we've seen. I think he's done a good job at certain points, especially when he's come on as a substitute. In certain games, he's done a good job of coming up. Uh, coming in and shoring up things in midfield, using his freshness, his pace, his speed, um, you know, and, and he's got a lot of pace and speed over a short distance, which I think is is something that's really impressive about him. It's one of his best attributes. It, it means he's sharp in the challenge. And, and so, you know, he's done some good things. But again, I keep going back to the sample size thing. And again, yeah. I'm struggling to, f- to make a strong case that says Ainsley Maitland-Niles is the future in midfield. I'm really, really struggling with that. I've given him a six and a half. And the reason I've given him a six and a half is probably six of it because of the performances he's turned in when he's had the opportunities. But I give him the half for the whole attitude thing. Now, I I will hold my hands up. I'm someone who in the past has criticised his attitude, has asked questions about his attitude, has wondered what it is that this guy thinks he's going to achieve because he didn't want to play in the position that in my opinion, and probably still is his best position. And and I find that hard to get my head around. I think when you're a young man and you're in the, the world of football and you have an opportunity to establish yourself at a big club like Arsenal, you just have to take it and you have to take it with both hands and you can't be obsessed with playing in this position or playing in that position. You're fortunate and you are privileged 
to be where you are. And and I thought he was off. You know, we all saw that Instagram stuff, you know, where he posted what he posted. He wanted to leave the club. The club declined to let him leave. He's turned it around, though, in terms of as a person. I think he's proved a lot of people wrong in terms of the way he has just bounced back, just got his head down and got on with it. So that's why he gets that extra half for me. But six and a half is is my rating. There's a few sixes in the chat, mostly sixes, in fact. Uh, we've got a couple of six and a halves, but I think the general consensus in the chat box is a six as well. So, uh, Mike, you're a little bit harsh there, mate. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, <laughs> when you were making that case, I I did think I was being a bit harsh because I, I agree with you. Like the fact that he's turned it around. I mean, I thought he was gone when he actually publicly put out something saying, you know, the cl- I think he was saying, oh, um, I just want to play or something like that. That's you know, it. The, um, when you put out something like that, that's a huge statement because that doesn't happen that often. And to, to sort of go from that, he wouldn't have been in a, in a good place um, at Arsenal at that point. Like when a when a player pub goes public and you know airs their their frustration and grievances, it's never a good look. So he would have had to work so hard to get back into the manager's consideration, not only to play but to play in midfield. So it's it's a big big thing. I think my sort of issue is just I'm not sure whether he's good enough to be a midfielder because you know he he went on loan to West Brom and. I don't even think he was that amazing in in the West Brom team, and really at West Brom you should be you should be looking you know like a top top player in in there when you're when you're playing like at with that stand of, of caliber of player and the fact he didn't was a bit worrying. So I'm surprised he even came back and played mid, played him in the field. But look, I'm more than happy to have him as a sort of squad player if he's happy to do that because he's better than the likes of El Nenny. Um, he's he's going to be good cover in in January. So. You know, I've got I've got no complaints. I'm just not sure on the long term sort of thing with him. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Let's move on to another uh, player who I know is going to divide opinion uh, on this one. Martin Odegaard um, signed, of course, on a permanent deal from Real Madrid in the summer. I actually thought Martin Odegaard started excellently. To this, you know, he started the season really, really well when. Our form turned around. He was at the forefront of that. I thought he was really leading the press, leading by example, giving us a an extra kind of dynamism in midfield that we didn't really have prior. Uh, someone who would give you the creativity in that number 10 role, but also gives you the work rate that means that it's almost like a three-man midfield at times. We've seen him drop into deeper positions this season as well, which hasn't been ideal for him, I don't think. Um, but recently, Mike, his form has, has gone off a little bit of a cliff and he's lost his place. And now he's finding it hard, I think, to win it back, partly mm. due to a change in system, change in shape, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to give Martin Odegaard a six and a half because I I don't think he's been great, but I can't disregard the fact that I thought he was really good at the start of the season. So I'm in this weird place where I don't want to discount that, but also I can't give him any more than a six and a half because in recent weeks, although he's only been a substitute and made a few cameo appearances here and there, I don't think he's he's pulled up any trees. Where are you on the Norwegian? Yeah, like similar to you, I thought he started well. Um, and he sort of was one of the players that took responsibility and, you know, put in decent performances when we were awful as a team. And that's, you know, fair play to him for doing that because it takes a big character to do that. Um, and yeah, I thought he was he was leading the press really well. He was always the one on on the front foot. And whatever's happened, I don't really know. 
Um, but he's yeah, he's fallen badly in in recent weeks, and it's been a good like three, four, five games that he's not that he's that he's not really played. And in the, the initial games in that sort of period that he did play, he was he was terrible to be honest. So yeah, I mean, look, he was our sort of summer signing. You sort of hung your hat on the fact that he'd come in and be our number ten. And the fact that Lacazette sort of playing in his role where he would be playing as a second striker slash number 10 is not a good look for him because Lacazette, you know, for for all these sort of, you know, attributes shouldn't really be playing in that position. I think it's just a sort of short-term uh, thing that Mikel Arteta has stumbled upon because maybe he saw something in training uh, that he wanted to, you know, alter tactically and it's works. But I think Odegaard should be should be nailing down that position because we've 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 spent the money on him we decided to go for him over the likes of James Madison and he's he's not performed so on that basis the fact that I'm so I've been really disappointed with him I'm going to drop him down to a five as well because I, I feel like he should be performing at a much higher level than than he is at the moment just on that point about the the formation change in the system and and the fact that Lacazette is now normally in the team as as, as a man playing up top with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. I said on one of the pods yesterday that I didn't feel it was Mikel Arteta wanting to change his system. It was a realisation or an acceptance that he needs both of Aubameyang and Lacazette in the team. And this was a way to accommodate it. Mm. How much of a role do you think Martin Odegaard's form would have played in that decision? I think I think a huge a huge role because at the end of the day, if, if Odegaard's in the team and he's, he's creating in that number 10 position and he's doing... You know, given a, a Bamiang the service to score, which we know he can do because we saw it last season, then I think he stays in the team, and I don't think Arteta changes it. So I think his form directly correlates to to, to Lacazette coming in, and I know that that Lacazette has been good, but he's been playing like a, a deeper role, and that's not really his his game that much. So the fact he's sort of adapted that role and sort of taken on what Odegaard should be doing doesn't say much for, for Odegaard in his in his recent performances. I, I don't really want Lacazette to go out of the team because I think he gives us, um, in, terms, in terms of a comparison to Odegaard, because he's probably the most similar position role that they're playing, I think he gives us that bit more physicality, a bit more of like a striker's instinct to back into to defenders, hold up the plays. Link-up play is good as well. Not, not incredible, but I think he gives us that much more. And what he also does, I think, as you said earlier, I think Odegaard has got too much of a tendency to drop too deep. And what that does is just create a huge gap like between the rest of the team and Aubameyang, which leaves him isolated. And we know Aubameyang is not going to create chances for himself. So I think that's something that needs to be addressed because this is not a long-term thing. Like Lacazette will not be playing there the whole season. So maybe he's he's thrown a bit of a gauntlet to Odegaard, said, you know, your form has not been good enough. I'm going to try this, you know, work as hard as you can in training to get back into the team. And then, you know, when you're, when you're showing it... Um, You'll you'll be put back in, but for me, and I don't know if you agree, but I don't see any other position that that Odegaard currently fits at the moment in in this current system. He's not going to play on the left, not going to play on the right. So if he's going to play, he's taking Lacazette's role, isn't he? So if you had to pick the two, you'd pick Lacazette at the moment. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's spot on. I think you you make a great point there. Um, just looking at the chat, six seems to be the average rating that. Uh, he is receiving at the moment. I gave him a six and a half, um, but six is fair. But I also think Mike's rating is is fair as well when you, you contextualise it the way you have. Moving on, let's talk about Emil Smith-Rowe, man of the hour, made his senior England debut the other night, scored a goal as well, um, although you probably would have scored against San Marino. But still, 
big confidence boost for the lad. And um, what have you made of his campaign so far? 10 out of 10. Cannot fault it. The guy has just become a different animal. I mean, the fact that he literally only made his uh, his Premier League debut against Chelsea on Boxing Day last last year. I mean, that's just ridiculous. The fact that he's literally... In you know, in an Arsenal senior sense, come out of nowhere. Like he showed great flashes last season. Um, this season, he's really like cemented his role. And obviously, the big thing that he had to add to his game was uh, was goals. So I remember we did a pod like a few months ago, and we we're saying like, oh, we can't really rely on on uh, on on the midfielders to to score enough goals. But the fact that you know Smith Rowe is is banging them in now because he scored, I think, maybe like three in a row, four in a row, something like that. The fact that he's taken on that mantle is a huge plus because it takes the the pressure off Aubameyang um, and Lacazette and it gives us another avenue. And also, I think, moving forward as well, it will sort of give give opposition a a little bit of a a nudge and say, look, we need to mark this guy. Don't give him space on the edge of the box. And even though that might not be a good thing for Smith Rowe, it's a good thing for us as a team because it, it points up potential threats um, that will open up space elsewhere. So like, I can't, I cannot complain. Everyone can see how good it is. Fully deserves his England call up. Um, I think he would have got it eventually, regardless of the injuries as well. I think he fully deserved it anyway. Should have been in that initial squad. Um, you know, even if players didn't pull out. But yeah, I mean, there's 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 not much more you can say about him. He's just been incredible and. Definitely for me, our player of the season so far. Wow. We've got a 10 out of 10, ladies and gentlemen. It took me 10 out of 10, man. Are you cheering me or cheering what? When you said 10, I wanted to hit it then, but (laughs) I I couldn't find it in time. But anyway, uh, the joke's gone. You wouldn't wouldn't make a good radio producer, Harry. Sorry. No. no, A good radio producer would have those things ready, you'd hope. Uh, not me. I've not given him a 10 because I won't give anyone a 10 <laughs> at this point in the season. Gosh. But I've given him an eight. And I think he's been, he's really improved the fact that he's a, on the fact that he's a goal threat or, or made himself a goal threat, which is for me huge. Because as you said, we talked about it a few months ago. One of my big concerns were was can he and Saka deliver enough in terms of outputs that's goals and assists to really help us get over the line over the course of the season. And I've been, um, I've not been a massive fan of Emil Smith Rowe when he gets in front of goal. I I, th- I feel like he's a bit, he's got a bit of the Alex Iwobi's about him, where he doesn't seem to get hold of the strike cleanly enough most of the time. It seems like he doesn't have that conviction. Maybe sometimes he thinks too long and too hard about what it is he needs to do uh, with the ball. I think lately, though, you've seen him switch to instinct a little bit more. He's popping up in really, really good positions, which we know is something that he and Mikel Arteta were working on over the summer. He's taking up those Robert Perez positions, if you like, coming in off the left, arriving on the edge of the box, seems to be timing those runs brilliantly. I still think his finishing could improve. And I still think that's the biggest development area that Emil Smith-Rowe has because, you know, I, I mean, which game was it at home? I'm just trying to think. Um, was it Villa? Was it Villa where he scored in the second half? Yeah, I'm just yeah, trying to think. Yeah. yeah, that I mean that goal against Villa, it takes a massive deflection and wrong foots the goalkeeper and then goes yeah. in off the post. So, yes, we should be praising him for lifting up his outputs and and improving in that sense. But I still think if you look at it with a a fine 
you know, with a microscope and you go through it with a fine tooth comb, he could still do with massively improving in that area. Um, but four goals, two assists in 11 Premier League appearances. You can't really ask for much more from someone playing out on the flank. Um, ultimately, we wanted goals, we wanted assists and we've got it. So eight for me uh, is the rating. I'm just having a look at what people are putting in the chat. Uh, we've got some eight and a halfs. We've got a nine and a half, eight and a half, nine, nine and a half. So it doesn't look like you were too far off, Mike, with your 10. We have got a 10 in the chat uh, from Anukrit. So, um, yeah, good, good level uh, from Emil Smith. And it, look, it's just great, isn't it, that we're talking about one of our own young Arsenal lad come through the system. And we're talking about him being at such a high level. Speaking of young lads who have come through the system, Bakayo Saka, Mike, talk to me. Mm. Um, it pains me to say, but I've been a bit disappointed with him this season. Um, it's nothing to do with his ability. I think it's uh, maybe a burnout thing, in so, like playing too many matches. I think from uh, from you know all through last season, we like relied on him, and that's never really a, a good thing for a player so young uh, to sort of bear that responsibility on his shoulders. And with the Euros thing as well coming into the season I just think he's just lost like a, a yard of pace and I think that's purely just a fitness and sharpness thing I feel like he needs a break and because he's he's playing for England in every single international break as well he's not getting that that break so he really needs to hit the reset button for me and uh and go again and I, th I think the fact that he is so good like he's still been better than like most of our team in attacking areas because he is just a special player but in, when I'm looking at it, comparing it to his own standards, I feel like he has he has dropped off quite a bit. So I think it's probably not harsh in giving him a six for me. Yeah, that's what I went with as well, a six, because I, I don't, I'm not going to fault him in terms of work rate, in terms of effort, in terms of, you know, like you said, he, he plays pretty much every single game when, when available, whether that be for club or country at the, this moment in time. I do think he is suffering from a bit of a Euro hangover. I think that can be said of a lot of England players at the start of this season. Remember, he obviously suffered that huge disappointment in the final as well. And sometimes that can take some time to get over mentally. So, yeah, I think six is fair. I don't really want to stick the boot in on, on Bukayo Saka, but yeah. I think we all acknowledge and recognise that there's a lot more to come from him and he's not been at his brilliant best at the start of this campaign. Nicolas Pepe is the next player I want to talk about. And I know that you've got some strong views on this one. Um, He's out of form, no doubt about it. Lost his place in the team. Doesn't look like he's going to win it back anytime soon. But there's still this tiny thing inside me, Mike, that that knows that Nicolas Pepe can produce moments and feels that he needs to be loved, needs an arm around him. But there's a balance as a manager between giving a player what they need and giving them ample opportunities and the confidence boost that they need repeatedly, but also making sure you're doing what's right for the team. And right now, the mm. results don't lie. Him not being in the team it is, is obviously the right thing at this moment. I'm going to give him a five um, because I think some of the performances he's turned in this season haven't been as bad as people have made them out to be. I still think he's been heavily involved in anything good that we've done in the attacking third, even if it hasn't always turned into goals or assists. I think that there have been points in this season where our entire attacking line has been below par. And so to single him out feels a little bit harsh for me, especially during a period where we weren't creating anything as a team. So I'm going to give him a five. I think that's probably fair. 
I know you've got a stronger view. Go for it. Yeah, um, mate, I'm just so disappointed with, with him because I think I'm with you in the fact that I can see there's a player in there. Like, obviously there is. The guy has raw talent, you know, coming out of coming out of both feet. Um, but he's just not producing it anywhere near enough. Um, we've seen flashes, plenty of flashes, but most of them for me last season were in the Europa League. And obviously this season he's not had that. Um, and you, it's not even like we can say that he's not had much game time in the Premier League. So I'm just looking at it now. There's there's five starts in, in the Premier League, overall seven appearances. So five starts, two subs, and there's only been one assist, no goals. So for me, that's a disappointment. And I just don't know how much longer we do we do this Nicholas Pepe experiment because he's not getting in the team ahead of two youngsters, Saka and, and Smith Rowe. I say those are the main rivals for his positions on on the wings and he, he can't get in there as a senior player because he's just nowhere near it so for me like he is seriously on I wouldn't say borrowed time but I think there's going to be a serious like discussion come the end of the season maybe even January to say look like what is the plan with this guy because he's, he's not doing it for me and it's, it is it is so annoying because I, I look at him and I think look like when when he's in a one-on-one position he's got enough ability enough pace to get the ball and take it round, dribble about five players and then and then hit it into the top corner. We've seen him do it before. So it's like, why is he not doing it? Is it a confidence thing? Is it a tactical thing? What's what's the reason for it? We 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 know he's a goal scorer from his from his time in France. So why is he not reproducing that that same that same level? You could talk about the league, you can talk about a lot of different factors, but I just think he's not he's not there. He's not there. And I don't know if he will be. So for me, based on what I've seen this season, which is not much. I'm going to give him a three out of 10, unfortunately. Wow. Wow. Our harshest yeah. rating yet. No, no sound effect for that. No. Oh, you, you wow. what, <laughs> what have we got? Have we got anything? Uh, hold on. Here we go. Nope. I turned my phone on silent. Hold on. Here we go. <laughs> Is it going to work? Nope. Nope. Forget it. I'm awful. <laughs> nope. Can't get it to work. Wait, let me refresh the page. I really want to do this. Really <laughs> All right, let's work. <laughs> Hold on. I can just keep digging him out if you want. The shock, the shock <laughs> among the fan base. But no, I, I mean, for me with Nicolas Pepe, I think I think you make a lot of of strong points. I think for me though, the thing that I'll always go back to, and the thing that I'd urge all the supporters to remember is that. Arsenal paying a shit ton of money for Nicolas Pepe is not Nicolas Pepe's fault. Arsenal overpaid and overspent on this player. And and if you're to believe the rumours, that deal was one of the deals that KSE really scrutinised um, and, and then decided to move Raul Sanlehi on as a result of it wasn't the only one, but there were a number of transfers that they sent. I think it was Tim Lewis into the club to really review and try and make sense of because it did feel like they'd invested a huge amount of money and not got a great deal off the back of it. I think the day, you know, we realised that, Nick, well, th- the fact that Nicolas Pepe isn't a £72 million player is clear to me. But I think a lot of the criticism he gets is, still with that mindset that we paid £72 million for him. And you've got to put that to one side. I'm not saying you're doing that, Mike, because I know you're not, because we've had this conversation before. But there are people who still look at him and go, well, he's a £72 million player. Therefore, the bar is up here 
and he's not meeting that standard. When actually what you probably need to do is lower the bar and then decide whether Nicolas Pepe is actually performing or not and compare him to his peers, not to Cristiano Ronaldo, not to Lionel Messi. Compare him to the players that we have at the club that he could potentially play instead of or whatever and then come to your decision. I mean, there were people telling me last season that Reese Nelson should have been ahead of him. That's absolute nonsense. You know, um, somebody like Reese Nelson hasn't proven anything. So that that's where I have sympathy for Nicolas Pepe. But I do agree with you because for me, probably more worrying and more concerning than his actual performances is the way he carries himself and the fact that he looks really downbeat and frustrated. And mm. it just feels like it's a marriage that's not working for either party at the moment. So probably best uh, that we do review that in the summer. I agree with you. Uh, moving on, Alexander Lacazette. He seems to have found a new lease of life. Um, I'll start off by sharing my rating. I've given him an eight. I don't know if he's playing for a contract. I don't know if he's playing for a move. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it feels like, um, you know, he's he's been reborn. I, I love the hold-up play. I love the attitude. I think the attitude that he shows is exemplary and he deserves a lot of praise for that. What's your take on Lacazette? And then we'll get some ratings from the chat. Yeah, I've been really impressed with Lacazette. I have to say, he didn't really start at the beginning of the season, did he? Um, not, not really sure why why that was but um, it was COVID right at the start wasn't it yeah yeah he missed the the Brentford game maybe the Chelsea game because of because of COVID I think I'm not sure but um since since he's come in after that yeah he's been he's been brilliant I just think that when Lacazette is, is on it and he has been recently he can sometimes be unplayable because the way that he sort of you know uses his body to to spin players and and the way he draws fouls is what I love about him so much like you can't get him off the ball sometimes. If he if he's got his back to goal for a short guy, you literally can't nudge him. He's so like his center of gravity is quite low, and he's got such like core strength that you can't get him off the ball. And nine times out of ten, he will he will give you a free kick. Which when you know you're you're playing in a in a tough tough game, you need and we will need against Liverpool. Like we'll need those free kicks to in order to get our breath back in what I'm sure is going to be a really tough game. This weekend, so yeah, I I think he's playing for a contract um, because we saw him last season. Towards the end of last season, he wasn't really up to much for me, um, but this season, you know, wasn't really involved at the beginning, but came in and it just looked like a like a different player. I always think that Lacazette is someone that like has two sides to him, and I think a lot of his sort of um, game where he's really good is is about mentality, and if that mentality is switched on to the right. The, the right degree I think he he is a top top player and he helps us so much and I, I think you're right in the sense that him and Aubameyang have to play together because I think he unlocks Aubameyang I think he brings out the best elements of him and we've had this debate so many times like Aubameyang or Lacazette like who do you play because they bring such different things or well, if you can get them both on a pitch which is what we've found out recently you you get a winning combination so it's going to be interesting to see how he does against Liverpool because obviously that's a much different much stronger test than, than what some of the tests we've faced uh, in this um, eight-match unbeaten run in the Premier League we've gone over recently. So, you know, we played Leicester and played Spurs and, you know, play good teams like Palace, but this is a different level, different kettle of fish Liverpool. So we'll see how he does there. But from what I've seen so far, yeah, I'll give him, I'll give him a solid seven and a half for me. Seven and a half. I went with eight. So we're pretty much uh, spot on with each other there. Uh, the general consensus in the chat seems to be around about the eight out of 10 mark as well. Um, so, yeah, it probably feels 
uh, like a fair rating. Don't forget, just before we move on, we've got a couple more players uh, to touch on. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit the like button. Let's try and get up to 75 likes. Uh, that's the next target. We hit the 50. Let's keep going. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the channel if you're new as well. And if you're listening via the audio, make sure you leave us a review. Now, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Mike, feels like lately he's had a personality transplant. Yeah. <laughs> There we go. How long does this go on for? Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Someone has to laugh at my jokes. There you go. Oh, man. (laughs) Go on, (laughs) Bamiyang. Yeah, Bamiyang, I I agree with you, mate. And the fact that I think I brought it up on the last show, but um, I was talking about how Arteta mentioned that he sees a different version of a Bamiyang. And Arteta is usually like quite a closed book, isn't he? You don't get much out of him. Um, but the fact that he said that is a big statement, I think, because we are seeing a different Aubameyang. And it, it's the it's the one that we we see usually a few times a year, every game recently, because he's pressing from the front, which you don't usually see him do. Um, he's got high energy, he, but he's scoring goals as well. So when you get that combination of factors, it's it it's great. So I can't I can't fault him. Um, and I think he's he's doing this in in a time where after the international break, he could have really, you know, dropped off and said, look, Arsenal, we're bottom of the table and uh, when it's not going very well at the moment, there's pressure on the manager. He could have, like, down tools if, if he wanted to, but he's not. He's sort of taken the, the burden of the captaincy and said, look, I'm going to turn around my form and sh- put everything I can on the pitch and it's up to the rest of the team to, to replicate. And that's exactly what he's done. He's he's fulfilled his role as as a leader by you know playing with that intensity, which I can I can imagine as a sort of teammate to to watch Abamyam in in training. I can't imagine. I don't think he'd be putting that sort of thing, that sort of intensity in, in training a lot. It just didn't seem like the the type of guy. It just his character quite laid back. But and the, the players might know that. So when the players see him in a game and he's you know, busting a gut to chase every ball and he's, you know, putting pressure on opponents and he's urging others to like come and press with him. And that's that's got to be a big boost for the rest of the team because he's obviously a well-established, um, you know, leader um, of, of, of the team. And for players to be following that, it must be a big thing. So I, I can't fault him. So I'm going to give him a nine because I, I see, as Arteta said, a different player. Yeah, I think the attitude thing is is the big thing, isn't it, in terms of the shift that we've seen. It's interesting because in the chat, the ratings for Aubameyang seem to vary between six and eight in general. Um, I'm going to give him a seven and a half. I think that for me, what I've found you know, most impressive, as I say, is, is the attitude, is the work rate, all of that stuff. And he looks like he's interested. And I think at, there were points last season where you could have questioned just how interested he was. I know there mm. were personal issues. I know there was, uh, you know, the issue with malaria and we know that there was other stuff going on with Aubameyang, the failure to turn up for the North London Derby thing. That for me was not failure to turn up, but failure to turn up on time. That for me was someone disinterested more than anything else. And I can forgive him for poor performances. I can forgive him for, you know, maybe going off the boil a little bit when he had issues with his mother, when he had malaria, but I cannot forgive the Arsenal captain not turning up on time to the biggest game of the season. So that was where I started to really think, is this guy interested anymore? Is his heart still at the club? Does he believe in in the direction of travel? Does he believe in the project? And I think you have to say now that he, he probably does. And I wonder if this has been 
spurred by or or, or created the, the you know off the back of Arsenal going out having quite a big transfer window and up until this point it's seeming as though it was a very good transfer window has that maybe restored his faith in what is happening at the club and maybe spurred him on a little bit I don't know um it's, it, it, I, I can't quite put my finger on it I think there have been times still this season where he hasn't looked at his brilliant best but I'm trying to be very mindful of the fact that as a creative force Arsenal are not quite where they need to be and the difference between us being better since the first game of the, uh, of the opening three seasons is not so much in attack, it's at the back. And mm. therefore, how much of an influence can Aubameyang have if we're still struggling to create chances and if we're still tr- struggling to, you know, control games for large periods? Because what we've seen with the games against Spurs, Villa, Leicester, was Arsenal be very, very good for a period of time and then be good enough to manage when the level dropped and, and, you know, manage the game and see it out. So I think that's um, that's where I'm struggling to to mark him down. So I'm going to give him a seven and a half. I think that's probably fair. Mm. Our final player, uh, Mike, that I wanted to talk about is Gabriel Martinelli. Now, this is another one that I think is going to probably spiral into a, a sort of debate. I'm going to start off by giving you my rating because I've only given him a five. And I know that's going to upset people because I know there are a lot of people out there that feel that Gabriel Martinelli's stagnation, if you like, is a consequence of Mikel Arteta's management. I don't quite see it that way. I don't think he's taken the chances when they've come his way this season, albeit a limited number of them. I think people blame the coach a lot. I think it's easy to blame the coach. I think it's especially easy to blame the coach when you want him out anyway. But I don't think that Martinelli, when given the opportunities, and I'm talking about probably in the Carabao Cup more than anywhere else, I don't think he's taken them with both hands the way he did when he first broke into the side under Unai Emery. So I think that the blame has to be with Gabriel Martinelli and he simply has to do more. Yeah, um, I'm going to go low as well. And, you know, if I'm going to criticise Pepe for poor performances, I'm going to criticise Martinelli as well. I'm going to give him a four going to go lower than you because I just don't think he's when he's been given the opportunity yet he hasn't done it Uh, I think right at the beginning of the season he played a couple of games as a number nine as well which is where some people thought that he wanted that he wanted to play and that was his best position but he looks like a fish out of water there to to be honest he you know whenever he has played there in the past as well I just don't think it it suits him Um, and yeah in the Carabao Cup I just think he's trying to if you can say this about a player which is not often He's trying too hard. He's trying to do too much. It looks to me that he's not really understanding what is demanded uh, from the manager in that position. And it's similar to, to to Pepe actually as well. I, I feel like tactically he's got he's got a bit of a learning curve. Um, and it's what the likes of Saka and uh, Smith Rowe done so well. Like they work so well um, going backwards, but also drifting into other positions as well and look at making it look effortless. But I feel like Martin and, and Pepe, they just both don't have that sort of tactical flexibility, the, the ability to sort of float around and and like get engaged and, and, and link up play. I just don't think he's there yet. Um, obviously, the difference is, is that he's a lot younger than Pepe, but I just think with Martinelli, I can't see him getting a big chance this uh, this season. I just don't think he's going to get the opportunity. Like the Carabao Cup after Sunderland is getting into the serious stages. The, the FA Cup, I think, we will take quite seriously. So I don't know what further opportunities he will get without Europe. So I'm looking at it thinking we should send him on loan in January. Um, I think that's 
that should be an option that that the club should look into because there'll be a lot of, of suitors wanting to take him because he is you know a, a good player he's got all the sort of natural raw abilities to be developed into into that sort of player so if he gets a loan to like a mid-table sort of like lower table Premier League club I think that would be that would be exceptional for him I think that would really you know teach him a lot about the physicality of the league because I think sometimes even though he has got the energy he can look a little bit lightweight shoved off the ball a bit and I just think he needs game time Harry that's that's what players need to improve you know em- Emil Smith-Rowe we're talking about him a lot I mean he's he's gone out on loan to the likes of Huddersfield and he's he's done really well and he's got that sort of education of, of being at a, at a championship club and that's what's I think made him into the into the players today because you, you you sort of learn your trade when you're only playing you know substitute appearances here in the Premier League when you're playing in in the cups I don't think you're able to to hone your game as well as as well as you can on loan so for me that's what that's what I would do yeah I, I think that alone feels like it's it's inevitable it feels like it's something we're gonna have to do at some point so why not just accept it get on with it and let him go um somewhere where he is going to get the game time he needs. I think he is someone whose confidence is shot. And I think the biggest sign of that, as you say, is when somebody tries too hard and tries to do, um, you know, do too much too quickly. And I think there's this kind of desire with Gabriel Martinelli and and rightly so, you know, you you don't want that flame to go out, but this Mm -hmm. desire every time he gets on the pitch to say to Mikel Arteta, almost you're wrong for not picking me. So I'm going to prove it to you. But in being obsessed with that and in being sort of too kind of worried about how you're coming across, I think you can lose what you're actually good at. And I think one of the things he was very good at in these early stages was bursting into the penalty area at the right times, the timing of it. Um, He got into the box quite well, I thought, and, and was aerially pretty good as well when he first broke into the side. I know we don't really play that way. I, I know when he, especially when he plays from the left, we don't really get our right back forward putting crosses into the box very often. And and so things are a little bit different, but he has to evolve tactically. He has to adapt and he has to work out how he can show his best attributes in a Mikel Arteta side. And I don't think he's done that yet. That's partly on the manager as well. The manager has to be able to get the most out of him. But the big, big issue here is, is the lack of European football. And the knock-on effect that that's had on a number of players at Arsenal, not just Gabriel Martinelli, but you look at, for example, the goalkeeping situation. Well, we've got two goalkeepers who want to be the number ones. If we had Europe, you can give six Europa League group games to one of those goalkeepers, plus the two games in the round of 32, that's eight, plus two in the, uh, you know, round of 16, that's 10 games, quarterfinals, 12 games semi-finals, which Arsenal normally get to in the Europa League, then you're giving those fringe players in a lot of instances, not all the time, because you will pick your strongest team at certain points, depending on what the draw says, but you are essentially robbing these fringe players of 13, 14 games extra Mm -hmm. in a season, which is going to make them develop slower, especially in a young player's case like Martinelli. And we have to be mindful of that. Arteta has to do what's best for the team. He can't be chucking Martinelli in there if he doesn't think he's up to it just because we saw flashes from Martinelli in the Europa League and in the Carabao Cup, mind you, uh, you know, a couple of seasons ago. I, I think he's doing the right thing. And now the onus is on the player to make him have to make a decision. And he's not done that up until this point. 
Right. We are going to leave it there. Uh, it's been a great chat as always. Uh, if you are watching this back on replay, let us know your thoughts in the chat on uh, on our player ratings. Share your own if you'd like to do so. Uh, it'd be great to hear from you. Make sure you hit the like button if you haven't done so already. Mike, how can people uh, follow you on social media? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Mike underscore Stavru. Uh, give me a follow on there. Make sure you do. And we're just uh, seven likes away from hitting that 75 target. So please do hit the like button uh, if you haven't done so already. Subscribe to the channel if you are new. We'll be back with some more content tomorrow and we'll be kickstarting our preparations, our build up, whatever you want to call it, to Arsenal's trip to Anfield at the weekend. Fingers crossed we can get something out of that one. Until next time, take care of yourselves, stay safe and enjoy your evening. All the best. Goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to 